Welcome to one of my most favorite cities in the world. We are taking you inside the Paris Auto Show. This is AutoLine. Bonjour. It is a beautiful morning and I am standing right above the Seine River, which is in the heart of Paris. And we're here today because we're going to be taking you inside the Paris Auto Show, where I'll be talking with Jay Mays, the head of design for the entire Ford Motor Company, as well as Michael Manley, the CEO of the Jeep brand. Speaking of brands, we're going to be showing you some of the brands here in the European market that maybe you've never seen or heard of before. Brands like Lancia, brands like Peugeot and Renault, and Alfa Romeo. Of course, some of those brands, or at least some of those cars, are coming to the U.S. market, so stay right where you are. Have we got a lot to show you today. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. Autoline Daily, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get your all-access pass to the automotive industry at AutolineDetroit.tv. Joining me right now, the head of all Ford Motor Company design, Jay Mays. Jay, thanks for taking the time to talk with us nice right now. Nice to see you, John. You're introducing this, this Focus ST, which is very interesting, high-performance car. We've never really seen, certainly not from the Ford Motor Company, sort of a, a, a compact car that offers this level of performance. You've got all these high-performance Mustangs and like, are we seeing a, a changing of the guard here? Uh, no, but I think what we're seeing is we're seeing an exciting new palette, particularly for the U.S. buyer. So you're absolutely right. When you think of performance cars, traditionally in the U.S., it's always GT500 on the car end, something like a Raptor on the truck end. Well, 250 horsepower uh, out of this EcoBoost engine in a, in a five-door Focus coming to the U.S. market, that's exciting. This car is going to be fast, it's going to handle really well, and as you can see, it looks pretty darn good as well really dynamic styling coming out of Ford in Europe. I, in my view, even more dynamic than what we see coming out of the North American market. And very different kinds of designs. This is exhibiting, of course, what you call your kinetic design. That's right. Are you going to merge the two or make them more similar? They, they are merging, John. And we're, we're not really Ford of Europe design and Ford US design anymore. We're just Ford Global Design. And so between Maury Collum in the US, Martin Smith in Europe, we sit down and we work out what exactly the design strategy is for the next five years. You're seeing the fruits of that in the, what I would call, the last generation of the current kinetic design language. And of course, then we're working on a next generation design language that you'll be hearing about very, very soon. And we don't want to throw any of the good stuff away from kinetic design. We'll be taking that forward, but uh, we've got a few surprises up our sleeve. When I look at things like uh, the Taurus or the new Ford Explorer, which have a very close family resemblance be between them, and then I see this trapezoidal look on the lower part of the front fascia on those yeah. vehicles, I start to see what you're talking about of, of these things coming together, but, but still very different designs. How soon, how fast, and what are the characteristics that we will see between North America and Europe? Well, first of all, I'm glad you noticed the trapezoid. Keep your eye on that, because that's the tip of the iceberg. As we start to develop the new face of Ford, that 
trapezoid in one shape or the other will become very important to our DNA. But across the line, you'll see that we're going to keep the dy dynamicism of all of the kinetic design language, but it's going to become simpler, slightly more refined, and what we call more uh, an aspiration to premiumness. We think just because we're a mass market manufacturer doesn't mean that the cars can't look expensive. And we're, we're pretty good at that. And I want to come back to that in a moment, but sticking with North America for the moment, a difference between car and truck, I gotta imagine that kinetic design does not go to the truck products like an F-150? No, in fact, the, the, the design language we're developing for the next generation of what I would call international product is very different than what our domestic products like Mustang or F-150 will have. Both of those are considered icons. They almost are their own brands. And so a Mustang will always look like a Mustang. F-150 will always look like an F-150. But when you think about our global flagship, which is Mondeo, right down to the Ka or Ka as we call it in, in Europe, those cars will get a very similar design language. Let's go back to what you were talking about, making these things look expensive. You gotta be thrilled that Ford Motor Company, now back to very solid profitability, allows you to put more money in the cars, better materials and the like. Talk a little bit yeah, about well, that. Yeah, well we were talking about that last night, and, I, and you said to me, are, are you getting more creativity? And I said, no, I'm getting more money. <laughs> you, you, you think about it this way. Uh, we've got six less brands to deal with. We've got about half the number of people in the company that we had. We are not developing three focuses for the world anymore. We're developing one. Well, some, somewhere that pot of money gets to be spent and we're putting it back into the product. So you'll find better interiors, better craftsmanship, better amenities. In fact, the amenities on a Ford Focus are equal to the aspirational products from the Germans in the D-Class. And if you check out the, the option list. And the D-Class, of course, if nobody Two sizes up. Big cars, yeah, big expensive cars. Two sizes cars. up, right. but, but from the German uh, luxury manufacturers. So when you check out the option list on a, on a Focus, you'll find that not only from size, but also from amenities, it's equaling two sizes up. Give us some examples of what you're talking about when you talk craftsmanship, finer materials, and the, and the like. Well, 10 years ago, you would find that mass market companies, in fact, some luxury companies, would do what I call shingling. So they would build something and then they slap another piece over it and another piece over that, and you end up with thicknesses and tolerances that really aren't very good. What we do today now is we have a, a, a component interface that, that fits together the way you might find on a, on a high-end cell phone. And so when you dig into our cars, you'll see that we spend a lot of time on not just the style of the vehicle on the interior, but the way things interface or the way things fit together. And that's very, very important. Uh, adding to that, we've really gone out of our way to upgrade materials. So where you might get black finishes before or painted finishes, uh, we, ha we now have e-plating, which is uh, creating a metallic look that's far more uh, aspirational than some of the interiors that we did in the past. All of those things together just add up to a much more upmarket experience. Of course, one of the reason reasons that you would shingle things in the past is you didn't have two seams butting up, and if you don't get it right, it looks terrible. So this that's has got to right. put a real emphasis on getting it precise. Well, you know, one of the great things that's come out of One Ford is that we all work together. So between design, Derek and product development, John Fleming and manufacturing, we've got a team now that is actually really working together to create at the end, when the product pops out of the assembly line, a very high quality product. And that just hasn't happened in the past. So we're, we're pretty thrilled about it. And of course, now you've just added a new designer to your staff, Joel Piskowski, who had been with Mercedes-Benz. Prior to that was with Hyundai, did a killer job for them. I think 
he's one of the reasons why Hyundai's are selling so well right now. How did you go out and get him? Well, we agree, and uh, he happened to have left Mercedes. We have feelers out all the time. We do a lot of our own recruiting. We don't always rely. So you know who you might want to go after, yeah, even we, if they're at another we company? We know pretty much every designer in every company, and we know the ones we'd like to have, the ones we keep an eye on, the ones we wouldn't like to have. Joel, as we've always kept an eye on him. We agree with you. He's had a fantastic career, and uh, we think he's going to be a great addition to the team. And he'll be doing what at Ford? He'll be doing exterior design for Ford in the Americas for all the Ford products. Well, real good. Jay Mays, thanks so much for taking the time great, to nice talk to with see me you. this morning. Okay. Talking with me right now is Michael Manley, the CEO of Jeep, which many of our audience will know when you were on Autoline Detroit. But tell me, Michael, we know a lot about what Jeep is doing in the North American market. What are your plans for here in Europe? Well, Europe's really a big market for Jeep. We've been in this market for some time. So um, what we're really looking to do is to leverage our brand strength that's here already and just grow our volumes. I mean, Jeep on an international basis is up over 25% year over year. Now, that growth is mainly in other markets, so we're now here to really talk about what Jeep brings to this market, get our momentum back, and really leverage that brand equity that we've got. So you must be very excited about having the Grand Cherokee come into this market. Absolutely, and so is the market. I mean, Grand Cherokee was one of our lead vehicles in the past, and with this new vehicle, with its premium you know, interiors and the craftsmanship, it's going to resonate very, very well with the Europeans. So everybody's excited. In fact, we're going to launch it here in a, in a matter of minutes. Um, diesels, so important for the European market. What's the story with Jeep and diesels here? Well, we have a full range of diesels. In fact, we're going to launch our Euro 5 diesel engines in here, in Patriot and in Compass. Um, Wrangler gets its new diesel engine. So does Cherokee. That's Liberty. We call it Cherokee here in Europe. And of course, the diesel for Grand Cherokee will be here early next year. So uh, diesel is very important. About 80% of the market that we play in is diesel. Sounds like you're fixing the product line up here. What about distributors? I mean, isn't that a critical part of really being able to do what you want to do here, having the dealers? Absolutely. Now, we have got a good distribution network today, but we are going to work with Fiat on improving that and growing the distribution network. So that's in our plans. We hand over to Fiat um, April next year, and we've got plans to grow our dealers from roughly about 400 up to 900 dealers. So distribution is very important. And with this product lineup, I think we'll be able to grow that pretty quickly. Of course, you know, CO2 is so uh, important a consideration for people who buy cars in this market. Uh, it, are you able to overcome a, some sort of negative image that SUVs or Jeeps may have? Well, I mean, usually SUVs have pretty high CO2s, but the new diesel engines, we're able to reduce our fuel consumption and CO2 between 13 and 15%. So that's going to be our big message. You know, we've got great diesel engines, great torque, great on-road driving, but all of that's going to come with a reduction in CO2, more fuel economy, really tailored to the European markets. And you know, all the work we've done on our interiors that I mentioned on Grand Cherokee, of course, this market is very, very keenly tuned to that as well. So we've got new diesels, new interiors, and we're going to talk about our growth opportunities. It's going to be a good time for us. Let's talk outside of Europe and outside of North America mm. for the moment too. What kind of growth opportunities, especially that Fiat can help you get into? Um, well, Fiat really in Latin America and Europe very strong, so we're working with those. But in Asia, Middle East and Africa, our, our sales are up 20% year over year. So really exciting and there's opportunities for us to locally manufacture in those markets as well so we're focused on all of the regions and you know Jeep's such a global brand that's where the opportunities are. Real good well Michael Manley thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today. No problem good to see you again. Yeah you bet. Thank you.
tell you, working the Paris Auto Show is enough to wear you out. So we decided to take a little trip into the French countryside, where I got a chance to drive around in a new vehicle that Ford's coming out with, with none other than Jim Farley, the head of all sales and marketing for the company. It's a little trip that I'm calling Travels with Farley. Here's a little taste of what that show is all about, and then we'll get back to the Paris Auto Show. Is your love of cars what wanted to get you into the car business, or it was just a job that you applied for, or how'd you get into the car business? I went to UCLA Business School, and um, I, I got an offer from Ford to be a financial planner on the rear differential of the F-Series, or uh, I got an offer from Toyota to be the product planner for Lexus, the first ever one, and Lexus didn't even exist, and I was like, well... A call, whole car or a rear differential? I'll take, I'll take the whole car. And uh, so, I mean, I, actually, I was kind of pretty short-sighted, but, I mean, that's how it's how I, my first job in the car business started. And uh, always in marketing, advertising, marketing? Yeah. Yeah, I started in product planning, actually. That was my true love and, you know, coming up with concepts for new vehicles. It was just, um, it was actually a perfect fit for me. I'm standing in the Lancia stand right now. Now, I know it looks like it says Lancia, but it's actually pronounced Lancia. That's because this is a company that was started by a guy named Vincenzo Lancia, and he started it a long time ago. Lancia goes back to 1909, when it got started at the very early ages of the auto industry. As this brand developed over the years, it really became known for high-end luxury cars, very elegant cars, big ones as well long hoods and very vertical grills to them. In fact, in the 1950s, Lancia decided to get into Grand Prix racing. It launched a car that really didn't work all that well and it almost financially crushed the company, so they sold off everything to Ferrari, which modified the car and went on to win championships with the famous Juan Manuel Fangio driving for them. In fact, Lancia became very famous in the late 1960s, early 1970s for its World Rally Championship car. They went on to win that championship several times. But by the late 1960s, the company was in deep financial trouble and was acquired by Fiat. Then in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, this company really started to kind of lose its way. It started building very boxy kind of a economy cars that really didn't sell all that well. Now they're trying to get back to their roots. They're going back to much more elegant looking cars. Even if some of them are small and economy related, they're going back to that vertical grill that's on the front of them. And what's most important, I think now, especially to an American audience is, Lancia is owned by the Fiat Group. One of the plans now is to merge the Lancia and Chrysler brands. So in the European market, they plan on bringing several Chrysler products over here and branding them as Lancias, like the Chrysler 300, like the minivan as well, probably some other products. And speaking of bringing Fiat brands to the United States, come on, I got to show you the next one. We're going to the Alfa Romeo stand. Alfa Romeo is one of the coolest brands in the automotive industry. I mean, Think of the way the Italians say it, Alfa Romeo. It just trips off the tongue so beautifully. And that's because 
This is a brand that's been known for very beautiful cars, very sleek cars, performance ones especially. This company has got a very rich heritage in motor racing. In fact, little story here that most people are not aware of. Enzo Ferrari, yes, the very famous Ferrari himself, actually got his start in the business running the Alfa Romeo race teams in the 1920s and 1930s. It's a brand that's had a pretty good history to it, but not from a sales standpoint. When Once Fiat acquired this brand, things started to fall apart. They got the Fiat disease. You know what that's all about. The quality really started to deteriorate. But now, under Sergio Marchionne, because of course Fiat now owns this brand, they need to get it back on its feet. So they'll be bringing it to the American market. They need to sell more cars. It's a brand that's losing money, amazingly, losing money. Now Marchionne has warned them they better get this turned around or else. And very interestingly, Volkswagen has come out and said it would love to buy this brand. I think that's going to put a lot of heat on the Italians to really get this thing turned around again. Recently, they've come out with a new halo car called the 8C Competizione. That harkens back to these very beautiful cars that go back several decades ago, the 8C, some of which are worth millions of dollars today. The new one, maybe not so much, but it's clearly intended to get this brand back on its feet. But you know what? I don't care what happens with it. I just cannot see the Italians selling a brand like Alfa Romeo to the Germans. But anyway, this is the Paris Auto Show. Let's go see what the French automakers are showing here. One of the largest car companies in Europe is one that most Americans have never heard of. It's known as PSA. It's a company that holds two brands, Peugeot and Citroën, both of which are car companies that date back to the very earliest years of the automobile, very early in the 20th century. In fact, Peugeot is a company that got started in manufacturing before there were automobiles. It got going in things like bicycles and sewing machines. In fact, if you know your bicycles today, Peugeot is a brand that's still very highly regarded. They also did things like motor scooters and other kinds of products. But what Peugeot is really known for today is its diesel engines. They're really, really good at it. They've had an extraordinary number of innovations in the diesel engine. In fact, the company has got a joint development with the Ford Motor Company and combined, they have produced millions of diesel engines that have been produced here in Europe. And of course, the diesel is what really sells here in Europe, a great alternative to the, to the hybrid engine. But what Peugeot's now working on and coming out in the next year or two is a hybrid diesel, which gives you the best of both worlds. Fantastic fuel economy in the city and on the highway. So it's a company that's got a lot going for it. They used to be sold in the American market, both Peugeot and Citroën, but back then, their quality simply was not competitive and they did not have a full line of products. So they both dropped out of the American market more than 20 years ago. However, the rumors are out there Peugeot is interested in getting back into the American market. Some of the products that it's got on display here undoubtedly would find a lot of American buyers eager to get to them. But since we are here in Paris, that's just one of the French automakers we got to talk about. Let's move over to Renault. This is the biggest car company in France. Renault, or the Régie as it's sometimes referred to, is a car company that can trace its roots back to the very earliest days of the automotive industry. More recently, Renault is a company that had the foresight to go out and buy Nissan about a decade ago at a time when the Japanese automaker absolutely looked like it was going down the tubes. No other automaker in the world wanted to touch it. 
but Renault had the foresight to go out and buy it. And as you may know, it assigned one of its executives, Carlos Ghosn, to go to Tokyo and get the Japanese automaker turned around. That he did and did so brilliantly to the point that now the benefits are starting to flow back to Renault. Not just in money, not just in profits, but in technology. Nissan, as you may know, has something of a battery breakthrough, or at least that's what they're claiming, that give them a cost advantage over other automakers. And so here at the Paris Auto Show, Renault has unveiled two electric cars, the first of which is called Desire, which means desire. They're trying to create desire with electric cars by coming out with this very sleek, very exotic looking sports car, very high performance. So why are they doing an EV like this? Because in Europe, not even hybrids sell very well. Most of the public here likes to buy diesel engines to get good fuel economy. And so if they really want to convince the public that EVs are a way to go, they got to get them excited about it. That's why they've done this sports car called the Desire. But not that, that's not where the market's going to be in any kind of volume. And so they've come out with this compact four-door car called the Zoe. It's very nice looking, smooth lines, very sleek. In fact, this would be a terrific looking car, even if it turns out not to be an EV. But you know what? Renault has yet another brand, a very low cost brand that comes from, of all places, Romania. Come on, I'll show you what I'm talking about. This is yet another brand whose name you've got to learn how to pronounce. I know it looks like Dacia, but it's actually pronounced Dacia. Like I told you, this is a car company that comes from Romania. Now, Renault wanted to buy this company because it decided it needed a low-cost brand. Rather than come out with real cheap versions of Renault's that could destroy the brand image of Renault, it got this car company in Romania, and it's its low-cost brand. Renault knew it had to be prepared when other car companies came in from developing countries like Korea and, more importantly, China. So that's why it's got this brand ready. So how cheap are these cars? Well, most of the vehicles in this lineup are more or less around $10,000 or even less. In fact, they got one model that's $8,000 or even a little bit under that. One of the reasons why they're able to keep the prices of these cars so low is that in Europe, their emission standards and their safety standards are not as strict as they are in the U.S., which drives up costs. Now, in the next five years or so, Europe will catch up to the U.S. in emission and safety standards. That's when they're going to have to add more costs to these cars. So even though they'll still probably be at the bottom of the price level, they are not going to be as cheap as they are today. There's actually five different buildings at the Paris Auto Show, and the one that we're in right now is almost entirely filled up by Volkswagen. Why does Volkswagen get almost an entire building to itself? Because it has seven different brands. It's got Lamborghini, and Porsche, and Bentley, and Audi, and Volkswagen. Those are the ones that you know about. It's also got two brands that maybe you never heard of before. One's called Seat, the other's called Skoda. More on that in a moment. So how come Volkswagen can have seven different brands when GM and Ford had to get rid of a whole bunch of theirs? And you know the story. GM got rid of Saturn, and Saab, and Pontiac, and Hummer. Ford had to get rid of Jaguar and Land Rover and Volvo and oh yeah, they also got rid of Aston Martin and more recently Mercury. So how come Volkswagen can make so many different brands work when GM and Ford couldn't? Because Volkswagen does it differently. It treats each and every one of these brands really as a totally separate car company. They've got their own board of directors. They have their own annual report. They have their own P&L responsibility. They have separate engineering, separate designing. They really are separate car companies. 
So even though they share components, that's the kind of things that customers don't see, like windshield wipers and seat tracks. They don't really share the same kind of components or platforms like the other car companies that GM and Ford did. So these brands are very distinct, very different. However, let's get back to the two maybe you never heard of before. I'm standing right now at Skoda. It's a Czech company, as in the former Czechoslovakia, which is now split in two. Skoda is a Czech company that goes back many years into the early parts of the automotive industry. And then they've got another one called Seat. If you look at it, it looks like the name of it is Seat, but in Spanish, it's pronounced Seat, and that's because it's a, Se a Spanish company. Volkswagen bought this thing to expand its lineup. However, Seat is in trouble. It is losing money, and Volkswagen has warned it. They better get the situation turned around or else, and the implication of or else is the brand could be eliminated altogether. And maybe that's why Volkswagen is so interested in acquiring Alfa Romeo. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. Autoline Daily, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get your all-access pass to the automotive industry at AutolineDetroit.tv. And this brings us to the end of today's show. I really hope that you've enjoyed all the different things that we've shown you from the Paris Auto Show. And for all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you again here next week. Au revoir, mes amis.